Hey there. Uh, this week I'm with Rebecca. Rebecca, straight from Australia, has the pretty much discuss with me about um, or pretty much her life story and how she ended up uh, wanting to just almost die actually you know like the the desperation of not being able to stop uh, using was um, all all depressing and and quite a quite an exciting journey for for Rebecca and uh, finally she ends up um, helping other women um, get over some of their most challenging obstacles. And um, it's interesting because the conversation with Rebecca went into a bit of the um, food problems and food situation and our relationship with uh, with food. So it was quite a ride to sit with Rebecca and I'm super excited to share that with you. Um, just quick note, so please share the podcast, share the Facebook page, um, let people know about this podcast and, you know, I want it to grow, uh, and I appreciate every listeners. So without further ado, here's Rebecca. Enjoy. How are you doing? Very well, thank you, Alex. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, where are you located? I'm in Perth, Western Australia. Ah, so we're pretty much uh, a world apart right now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, as I do on every episode, um, I rewind the tape of your life back to the first memory that you have of either you using are being witness of people using that would, you know, like that, that stayed in your memory. Um, yeah, just, just draw me a picture of, of either of those, uh, two memories. Mm. And I suppose like, if I think about the very first time I remember seeing, um, parents and grandparents, uh, having drinks and things. And I remember have my, my dad, when I was very young, giving me a taste of his beer. And then I thought, well, that tastes horrible. Like, what? Why do they do this? It tastes like <laughs> um, shit. It beer yeah, tastes exactly. like shit. Just like ew. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't until many years later that I started experimenting. So, when I was a teenager, and I was probably like 15, 16, something like that, and I was very, very shy, very introverted, very um, found it difficult to speak up, very difficult to um, keep. Uh, relationships, you know, to, to build friendships. And I had a couple of close friends, but when it came to parties or anything like that, like they would be terrifying to me. And when I started experimenting with alcohol, I suddenly discovered that, oh, this substance can turn me into the extroverted, confident person that I always wished I would be. And I remember that one of the first times that I sort of got quite tipsy or quite drunk, I remember thinking, gosh, people could do this before work and then they would be so confident all day. So that should have been my first my first warning. warning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. The, <laughs> I've got a few questions for you, Rebecca. Uh, you know, like, um, first of all, draw me a bit of the family picture. Um, what's the, you know, like, what's the family picture like when you're younger? When I was younger. So my parents would have drinks with friends and family um, at special occasions. So the, but two parents, really... the two parents at home? Yep, that's right. And that's the, right. the fraternity, brothers and sisters? 
Yeah, so so we would be at my my mum's parents' house a lot, and my and and her siblings would be there, and my little cousins. Okay. Um. So sometimes they would like play pool and and like snooker, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and they would um, have some drinks, like have a party, have the music up, that sort of thing. But when it came to everyday type drinks, they weren't drinkers at all. So I didn't see that um, excessive drinking and I didn't see them get out of control or anything like that. Um, any legendary else. any legendary drunks in your family? You know, like I no, have nothing, like a nothing. nothing. You know, people often talk about the genes, and and it's funny because I, when I went for genetic testing for some nutritional uh, um, issues, I was having some gut health issues a couple of years ago. Um, apparently, I have a gene where that dopamine hit is very um, very strong, and so the the naturopath was saying, "Oh yeah, you probably should never have been drinking," but I didn't see that in any of my family growing up like I didn't okay. there's no no history of it so it wasn't like it also wasn't like I had ever seen it modeled like over drinking so it wasn't for me when I was a teenager I thought it was something very rebellious because I'd never seen it before exactly. so yeah so to me I was like wow I'm being so independent and I'm being a rebel yeah, but, uh, uh, yeah. Your, your relation with authority in general, you know, like first, you know, like your relation with your parent in terms of, you know, like them being authoritative figures and then the, the eventually, you know, like the first um, foreign um, author, author, authority figure is cool, right? You know, like so mm -hmm. first, how was your relation with the authority of the parents and, and then what, what, what happened with the authority of school? Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, when I, my, my parents split up when I was quite young, they were probably, I was probably eight years old. And then my mother remarried um, later, many years later, um, when I was uh, 19, when I'd already started drinking. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, he was more of a drinker and, and still is like very much, there are, there are big social drinkers. And so, you know, I, when I got to school as well, like I didn't have a problem with authority because I was still so shy and timid and introverted and sort of keen to be a good girl and do all the right things and never get in trouble because I was scared of getting in trouble. Um, so I would hide the drinking and, and obviously at parties and things like that, it was um, much easier because it was just, you know, someone's backyard party with yeah. all the other teenagers and then just sort of hiding it from my mother <laughs> when I got yeah. home. And did uh, any brother and sisters Yes, I have one younger sister. Okay. So she, yeah, she, she, she didn't um, go on the same journey as I did with alcohol at all. Like she, she sort of, uh, she drinks, but never to the extent that I did. Yeah. And the other question is that, do you think that the, even the fact of, you know, like hiding alcohol and all that would hit those dopamine, um, mm. would, would be secreting dopamine for you? Oh, for sure, for sure. And I had this rich internal world because I was I found it hard to be very um, extroverted or outgoing. And so, yes, it was something else that was sort of personal or a secret or um, that maybe I got a bit of a kick out of, you know, looking back yeah. back now. Um, at first, maybe it was something that was a bit like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm being so independent and I, I know what I'm doing, that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and even... Stealing from my parents, you know, like I when I was young, you know, it was was some of the the, the 
clutch of, you know, like dopamine that I would get, you know, like, um, my, my father tried doing his own wine and it was disgusting, but you know, like even, <laughs> you know, like figuring out a way to, you know, like steal some bottles to drink in the, you know, like in the, in the schoolyard would mm. be like, just, just the fact of taking the thing and, and leaving the house, you know, like with it, I did. And it in on, on under my pants, but my guess is that my father knew, and you know, like he would just get rid of the freaking thing. You know, I, <laughs> I won't drink that for long. Exactly, just happy that you know, like okay, I'm gonna get rid of that shit. But you know, like the 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 fact that I was that I thought that was I was such a mastermind, I think mm -hmm. would kick some of the dopamine in me. So um, yeah, mm -hmm. I was asking the question just because you know, like even the pre-drinking. Is, is something that you get a kind of a kick out of when you're yes, younger. For sure. And I remember my girlfriend and I, my mom had a, a little cupboard where she had some bottles of gin and vodka. And we thought we were so clever tipping some of that into a glass and then refilling the bottle with water. You know, yep. and then we would keep doing that. And I mean, I'm sure she must have realized when she next went to have a drink, but, you know, she, she didn't drink that often. And so we just thought we were so smart and that we had outsmarted her. <laughs> exactly. Plus the fact that, you know, like the scenario building, you know, how are you going to take, you know, like how and when you're going to take that alcohol and where are you going to hide it? And, you know, like where are you going to drinking? You know, like the whole scenario and planning becomes kind of, you know, like almost like addicting, you know, like you, you, you're, you're getting ready. And even, even a few mm -hmm. years before I stopped, um, the, the getting the paycheck and thinking about, okay, I'm going to be doing this with the money and, you know, like then I'm going to be driving to that guy and, you know, like picking up that mm. and, you know, like the planning before I would always say, you know, like the, the, it would be fun until I buy it. And then it would be like, Ugh, okay, I've got, you know, like mm -hmm. that many days left, then I'm going to be out of it. And, you know, like I got to find money mm. or, you know, like ways or means to get some more. And yeah, anyways, but the planning was sometimes even more dopamine inducing than, than, the taking, thing, taking the, the substance thing. yeah taking the substance yeah. itself gosh that's such a good point and you know i hadn't thought of that before but now i can see as well that even when i was in my 30s that same kind of thing of like that buzz of i'm going to get everyone together and we're going to have these yeah. drinks before and then we're going to go there and the planning of it because i was always known then as as the social organizer as they the clipboard yep. queen they used to call me because i'd be like right then we're going here and then we're going there exactly and i didn't realize that yeah you're right drawing that parallel towards what i did as a teenager of like the the buzz i would get from being from planning this thing out and how it was this big um you know a risque secret type thing exactly but it, it, yeah. it for me it recreates how you know like it's i think i call this like the going to the roller coaster syndrome which would be like you know like your parents telling you that you're going to the you know, like the roller coaster park and you get that <gasps> inside, <laughs> you want to recreate that all the time, you know, like, so you, you find ways and you know, like, so the planning ahead of, you know, like your next binge is almost as, if not more exciting than, than taking the fucking binge. You know? <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and now I see that as well. It's, it's such a brilliant point. And, and I would be counting down to the weekends all through my twenties and thirties with yeah. that anticipation. 
Exactly. And so, mm-hmm. and every occasion you find like a, an ally to that party, you're like, oh yes, I got one more and you, I can actually justify myself with that new individual, you know, like, so it's not me, it's him, you know, like, it's not me, it's her, or it's not me, it's, it's, you know, like the, the yeah. death of, or the celebration of, or the birthday of, and, you know, like, it, and so even finding that was, yeah, it was, it was just like, um, excitement inducing you know like in in in, in, inside um so i guess um i don't know how you know like this is the school system similar to the u.s or more of the how does the school system is there like a a high school type of you know like where you come from elementary to high school yes so we go to primary school until we're 12 and then we go to high school from 13 to 17. Ah, which is more similar to ours than it is similar to the americans i think mm, i think um, sorry so how is high school yeah it was it was hard because i was so shy and so timid but then i would go to these parties especially later on in in, in upper school in, in when i was 16 17 i would go to these parties i would drink too much so i would sort of make a fool of myself and have these blackouts and not remember things so then i would come to school as the shy girl that i was normally and have people sniggering or, you know, laughing and look, pointing at me and, and saying things and I couldn't remember what had happened at certain parties. So it was it was hard. It was really hard, especially um, the, the, the more of these parties that I accumulated, yeah. the, the tougher it felt. And early teens are, are such a tough spot to be in because you're soul searching pretty much, you know, like you're <laughs> trying to find your own identity you know, like, what What am I? Who am I? Where am mm-hmm. I going? You know, like, it's just, it's just a tough time. You know, like, you, 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 you want to, so <laughs> you know, like, it's am so I like the, like, am I the preppy type? But, I, but I'm a yes. nerd, you know, like, I'm, I'm a geek, you know, like, but I hate these guys. You know, like, I don't want to be a geek like <laughs> them. And, but, you know, like, but the, the heavy metal and the, you know, like the, the tougher guys are, Ah, shit. You know, like, I don't want to be like that either. And, you know, like, you, you just can't find yourself. You know, like, it's it's tough. It's, it's where do I fit in and, and how do I, you know, adapt? And I would go to all these different groups and things like you say and, and be like, okay, maybe I need to adapt myself and, and fit into this one. Or maybe I need to change something about myself so I fit into this one. But you're not focusing on... But hang on, what about my preferences? You're instead like, <laughs> how can I get in with this group? And you know, like you know, like peer pressure is a popular expression these days. I don't think it's most of the time it's peer pressure. It's our own freaking pressure that we put on ourselves. You know, like mm. as teens, you're like, you're like, okay, you know, like I see these guys, you're like they seem pretty cool, but you know, but I'd rather hang out with these guys because they're you know, like they're more rebel, and I love that. You know, like so, okay, I'm gonna. Put the, you know, like I'm going to fuck my jeans up with holes so I can look more like these guys. And, you know, anyways, you know, like it's just a nightmare. Yes. <laughs> a nightmare. I'm so glad I never have to go to school again. <laughs> exactly. And you, your arms grow too long and you're like, your skin is shit. You know, like, you're like, ah. Oh, no, gosh. I had so much acne as well from, from 15 to 17 that it was just, yeah, it was awful. It was just another layer of, of exactly. problem. Yeah, yeah, and then you're just like, yeah, it's it's uh, it's shaming, and it's unfortunate because it's it's precisely at that time that most of the authority or the elders that are surrounding you 
at the same time are asking you, what are you going to do with your life? And I, I don't even know what I'm going to do with my day. You know, like, so exactly. <laughs> please, you know, like you don't know what to say that. It's like, well, give me a freaking break here. You know, like it's, it's oh just. <laughs> oh my goodness. I remember going to see my guidance counselor at school yeah. because I was like, I don't know what to do. And he handed me a big book of like all these careers and courses. And he was like, just go pick some things. Oh, well, I had, <laughs> I had, I have no idea how to do that. But Rebecca, I had worse. I was. So I left high school and, and had a hard time finding a college, you know, like, anyways, I got sick and, and, and at the end of my high school, I got pneumonia. And so I missed some of my uh, registration for college. And so at the last minute, I end up in arts, which is just weird. But anyways, I end up there. I had... IT and technology ran in my blood. My father has always been in there. So <clears throat> it would have made just sense for me to end up in technology. But for whatever reason, and probably because of all the things I just mentioned, I end up in art school. Mm -hmm. And um, sure enough, you know, like I can't find myself in there. You know, like either I, mm -hmm. I expected people to teach me art. But it wasn't about that. People were performing art and being by, guided by teachers, not the other way around. You know, like I expected <laughs> to be taught how to draw, taught how to paint, but it wasn't about that. People that that joined this course was were actually great artists, and you know, like I was not part of that. Um, <laughs> so I do the same. Go meet with a counselor that would help me, and so he, he makes me fill like that full questionnaire and have a talk with him and and by the end of the session he asked me so what are you gonna do i'm like oh, but i've been here for for almost two hours and precisely for you to help me get <laughs> help. and yeah and so his his final his final question was what are you gonna do i'm like well i i guess you know like that's your job buddy you know like it's not mine anyways <laughs> it was just a nightmare um so did you know at the time what you wanted to do for a living? You know, like, or where you were, what's your, what was your target? I mean, I loved writing. And so I thought I wanted to do writing and I thought I maybe would go into journalism, but I knew I didn't have that kind of killer instinct that you need in journalism. So I thought, well, that's not quite right. And I was doing really well in media studies, but I can't remember. There was something about a prerequisite that I didn't have or something. Um, but also I didn't really push myself. I didn't have anyone uh, sort of guiding me through um, my studies of, of like, you know, if you if you apply yourself, you go for this. And because I didn't know what I wanted to do, I didn't really apply myself in the exams and things. I got passable grades, but I didn't put pour my whole self into them or anything yeah. like that. So I ended up going to a a technical college after after school where I did uh, business and accounting. So, which was wow. not, not, not the dream at all. <laughs> and, and far from literature. Exactly. Yeah. And so Very far. where, how is your drinking going in the, at the same time? You know, yeah. And, and throughout the technical college, I loved going to a new place, like a new school, because then I thought, well, here I can start again. I have no reputation here. I, you know, everything is fresh. But of course, I would do the same sort of thing where I would then find friends who did big parties on the weekends or went night clubbing. And so, you know, really, really my drinking 
was very similar. And I know a lot of people say like throughout their drinking career, if you if you will, that their things escalated, that their relationship with alcohol um, got worse or the, or the impact of it on them got worse. For me, like I, I feel like my my drinking, although it it the frequency uh, increased later on in in life, I feel like the way that I drank wasn't remarkably different when I was 39 to when I was 19. Like it was still that. But at the same time, if, if, you know, like you, you pretty much described yourself as a blackout drunk, um, you know, like blacking out is blacking out. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I was blacking out from, from 15, 16, all the way through to 39. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so after that, that, uh, professional education, I guess you end up in the workplace? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I did that sort of the, the business and accounting and decided this is not really for me. I think I need something else. And okay. I had moved out by this stage as well. Like I moved out when I was 18 and got my own apartment. And then I um, realized because I was working part time and, and studying sort of full time, I realized actually I need a bit more money if I'm going to have my own place. And so I found this traineeship, which we have here, where you you go to work for four days and then on the fifth day each week you go to school and you learn. And I did the same sort of thing, like business and accounting and admin. Okay. Um, so I did, did that for for a year and that was great. I met new friends at the new school and did the same sort of things, nightclubbing every weekend, that sort of thing. Um, and then from there I um, – went into, I actually stayed there. I stayed with that employer for three years. Um, and then I moved into uh, recruitment. So I, I found another job in recruitment. It was sort of like throughout my career, I fell into from one thing to another, never consciously choosing them, but sort of falling into a new thing. <laughs> and it chose you pretty much. You yes. said, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> was there was there yet any negative repercussion of your drinking into like your professional or personal life? Uh, professional, probably not because I didn't tend to drink during the weeks. Like I, I was always very much a binge drinker. So I would live for the weekends and then go overboard on the weekends. But relationships, definitely. You know, I would have have arguments with girlfriends when we were out at the nightclubs where, you know, then the next day I would have to realize, oh, okay, I think I started that that argument, so I need to apologize. Or I had my first boyfriend um, when I was 18. I met him at, at college and um, I would get drunk and sort of flirt with other guys while he was there and so we would have big arguments. You know, there was always a lot of drama around it. It wasn't just like having some nice drinks and and um, and a nice quiet time. It was always some sort of big drama. And sometimes the next day my girlfriends would say to me, oh, you had a huge fight with your boyfriend. You were slamming doors and yelling all these things. And I didn't even remember all of that stuff. So wow. there was a, just a lot of shame over and over again, of especially the, the terrifying part about not remembering things and people telling me the next day, you did this or you did that. And I couldn't, I could never 
um, sort of find find steady ground because I constantly felt like, oh, there's going to be another thing that comes out of the woodwork next week. And so I would start avoiding people. And, and if I got drunk in front of this group of friends, maybe I would avoid them and not go out with them for a few weeks and hope that they forgot about it and instead move to this other group where maybe then, you know, that, that I hadn't been out with them for a while. Now maybe they've forgotten about the silly thing that I did last time I was out with them. And as you mentioned earlier that, you know, like you, 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 even though you didn't see a change in the, you know, like the, the tempo or the, you know, like the way you would be drinking in, in mm-hmm. that period of time, you said that you saw the, the regularity of it augment. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me how it grew and kind of overlaps from, you know, like a Friday to a Sunday thing or a Friday, mm. Saturday thing to a Friday to Monday or a Thursday to a Monday? You know, like can, mm-hmm. can you can you just, you know, like um, help me see a bit of how, it, how, how, how that happened? How it starts to grow. I think like throughout my 20s, I, I went to live in London for a few years. Then I went to live in Sydney for a few years. And and still it was very much the weekend thing, except in London it's very much a, a cultural thing to go to the pub pretty much every night or it was in the, the group that I was in anyway. So there was more drinking <laughs> we're, we're then. Good, we're good at finding those groups, by the way. <laughs> exactly. Oh, brilliant at it. Brilliant. <laughs> And um, but the thing with London was that the pubs closed at 11 p.m. and so it was kind of that enforced curfew. So yep. I'd be a bit hungover the next day at work, but then so would everyone else and that kind of thing. But when I lived in Sydney and when I came back to Perth, I would not drink during the week because I was trying to you know focus and then live a good life. Um, and it was going pretty well, but then I went through a relationship breakup in 2012 and that was really hard. Like I moved from the home that we shared into a shared house and um, with a couple of other people and and there I, I just felt I, the breakup just took a big impact on me and I found myself sort of drinking every night and I'd be asking friends to come out you know, let's go to the pub after work on Tuesday. Let's go after after work on Wednesday, and then it 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 sort of that year it was really difficult. And then in the next year, I decided that I wanted to leave the corporate world, and I had become enamored with a wellness lifestyle. Maybe because these hangovers were really taking a toll, and I was like, I really want to do something healthy, and I started studying to be a health coach and I uh, believed somehow on some level that if I left the corporate world to become a health coach, then the drinking would take care of itself. I'd done a Preach lot of work by on... example? <laughs> Pretty much Pardon? the preaching by example thing where you, know, like, mm-hmm. you think that if you... Um, you know, like if you broadcast a healthier lifestyle in mm-hmm. terms of being like a representative of it, you're going to... In, be induced by being healthier yourself. Is that it? That's right. That's right. Because I had <clears throat> I had started a blog in 2011, and I was sharing a lot of healthy recipes that I was experimenting with. Because I'd always had a tough relationship with food and my body as well, and so I was getting a handle on that, and I was feeling good in that way. But I was still drinking, and so I was kind of like in the back of my mind, I thought, right, if I if I become a health coach and I and I leave the corporate world and I'm doing this full time, then the drinking will take care of itself because of course that can't come with me that drinking just exists in this corporate world where I'm hanging out with people and, and we're doing all these yeah. things on the weekend and we're going to the pub after work. I won't have all that. 
But what I didn't realize is that when you start your own business, you're flooded with all of these fears, fears of doing things for the first time, not understanding how the technology works, not understanding how the finance works or the legal aspect or the, you know, there's so many aspects to it. Besides the being a health coach, running a business means doing all of those things. And so I felt so out of my depth. And anytime I felt out of my depth, I would drink. And so I started drinking on the couch uh, at night of like, well, I'm stressed or well, I'm nervous about that thing tomorrow. So I'll just have some drinks to relax. So it kind of morphed from this social drinking to this um, drinking at home as well in the way that I wanted to numb the feelings. And so, you know, that I saw myself because suddenly there was no getting up for someone else's work the next day, you know, to go work for a boss the next day or yeah. have anyone watching me, all of a sudden, you know, I, I'm free and there's no barriers to being able to drink every day. And, you know, it was still very much nighttime still very much on the weekend. I took it as an excuse to binge drink because that was my favorite way to drink was to to go overboard. Um, but I felt it morph then. Yeah. The, uh, just a couple of questions. You said that you had like a, a tough relation with uh, food and um, all that. Can you elaborate? Do you mind elaborating a bit on that? Yeah, sure. Um, so when I was throughout my teens, I, I had a very high metabolism perhaps. And so I could eat anything and never put on weight. But when I was 19 and I went to this um, new technical college, I was taking um, medication for my acne. And I don't know if that if that added to it or, or what it was, but I suddenly put on weight and I didn't like that at all. And I remember one of my boyfriend at the time, his friend said, something like, oh, my girlfriend is so petite. And my boyfriend said, oh, my girlfriend is so um, curvaceous or something like that. And I didn't like that. I heard that as a as a problem, as a, um, you know, something to be ashamed of. Yeah. And so I started not eating and I started just really restricting, writing down everything I ate, restricting calories, which of course combined with binge drinking was a disaster waiting to happen because I wouldn't eat all day. Then I would go and I'd have a few drinks and I would just black out from the third For drink sure. because yeah, I, you know, I lost all this weight. And, and I then constantly had this, this relationship with my body where I was, I, wanted it to be thinner. You know, I was, my self-worth was very much connected to my gene size where I was like, if I'm not this size, then I'm not, I'm not worth anything. And so, you know, I had this going on with the drinking and then people telling me, oh gosh, you got out of control yesterday. And then other people saying, oh, you, you know, you've lost a lot of weight and you look amazing. So all these mixed messages of like, you look amazing. You know, this is great that you've lost all this weight. But then other people saying, you know, maybe if you ate something, you wouldn't get so out of control. Yeah. And is there, um, it, did it go to the extent of like body dysmorphia where you would see yourself, um, you know, like not, you know, like see yourself differently than what you really look like, you know, like that in terms of, you know, like, uh, um, cause dysmorphia goes both ways, you know, like people see themselves not thin enough and some people mm -hmm. that, you know, like for example, train in gyms don't see themselves big enough or, you know, muscular yes. enough, you know, like, so, um, did it, did it go to that extent for you where it you, did. you, 
Yeah, and and constantly, and I would be almost when I would get to work in the mornings, I would be almost fainting about eleven a.m. And I, you, the, you go on with that long enough, and you feel like that is normal. That you know that the having no strength and having no stamina and all those things, I I thought that was just par for the course. All that mattered was putting less calories into my mouth. When it came to alcohol, I would choose the alcohol. So I'd be like, well, I won't eat all day because then I'm choosing the calories from the alcohol. And so, you know, it was just looking back now, I'm like, gosh, I was so thin. But I really had this thought in my head that I needed to be thinner than models. And I would actually cut out pictures of models in magazines and put them up on, you know, back in those days, they were all very extremely thin. They didn't, we didn't have this broad spectrum that we see today, which is so much better. But I would cut out these pictures and put them up on above where I had my bathroom scales and go and stand there every day and look at these pictures and be like, this is, you know, this is the, the focus. Wow. And how did you break that cycle? I I don't think I really did, you know, until I started studying wellness many years later because even though I when I uh, I, I I kept that weight off for a couple of years and then I put it back on and then I went to live in London and there's something that people joke about there called the Heathrow injection where you put on a, another 10 kilos when you arrive and so my body image was just so, so low. And every problem I ever had in life, I brought back to, well, it's because I'm fat. And of course I wasn't fat, but I thought I was because compared to this unrealistic image that I had in my head. And this went on and on. And I would do the same sort of thing that I would do with alcohol. Well, on Monday, I would change. On Monday, everything will be different. I'm starting over. And I would do the same with diet. Oh, okay. On Monday, I'm going to start over and things will be different. And then you know, Monday afternoon, I would get upset because I was hungry. And so I would eat something, maybe shove a muffin in my mouth or something. And then of course, feel like, well, I've ruined this week. So I might as well just, you know, eat whatever I want this week and I'll start again next Monday. And when I went to study nutrition and health coaching, I suddenly came to realize that, oh, hang on, food is not just about calories. It's about nutrition. It, it can change the way that our bodies behave, but also it can and feel and the way they look, but also our mental health changes with different things that we were eating. And we were encouraged to experiment on ourselves. So we were encouraged to eat these things during the day, write down how it made you feel, not how many calories are in it or how much of it you ate or what it weighed, but how it made you feel? How did you feel an hour after eating it? How did you feel the next like later in the day? How did you feel the next morning? And suddenly I started to see this food mood connection that I was like, oh, I was eating all these diet foods thinking that I was doing the right thing. But when I start eating these whole foods from nature, everything changes. My, my perspective on the world changes. I, I feel more at ease in my own body. I wasn't losing a ton of weight, but I was starting to feel just rejuvenated a little bit a little bit better and I started to see those effects which is part of the reason why I became so enamored with it and so passionate about it because I was like oh I need to tell other women you don't need to worry about the calories you need to just start eating whole foods and your body will start to feel better and that's when I finally started to let go of that and started to feel um, a bit more like this food is part of a I guess more of a like a spiritual thing, if you will, of, of, of 
this is it changes the way that we interact with others it changes the way that we feel around food it changes the way that we feel about our bodies where we're more accepting of them and actually listening to them like I never listened to my body I was always thinking it was my mind telling my body what to do you will be thinner and then exactly. suddenly I started taking these cues from my body of like, oh, okay, it feels like it needs a green juice this morning or I feel like, oh, okay, when I eat more of these um, sweet vegetables, I don't crave re- regular sugars. Ah, okay, I'm starting to learn more and getting more in touch with myself. And, and you know, <laughs> like we, we can't be thankful enough for progress, but mm-hmm. amongst that progress came stuff that are actually poison it's cheap for a corporation to introduce that into our food system, mm-hmm. but it's literally poison for us, you yeah. know? And so, so as, as you, you, as you get closer to anything that grows or lives, you know, like that, that, that <laughs> you, you eat, um, and you know, like they, 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 they say processed food, but you know, like the, they're right. You know, like you have to, get away from anything that mm-hmm. a, a big corporation compensated something that grows or lives for mm-hmm. something that's cheap to fa- to fabricate you know like so mm-hmm. um yeah i mean like i'm 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 kind of list, reading on it right now about you know like um you know like i just hit 45 and not that i you know like I, i'm i'm I wasn't too good at, you know, like uh, making sure that, you know, like uh, the, the closest I get to nature, <laughs> pretty much, mm-hmm. you know, like the, you know, you're set, you're right. You know, like it's more fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Um, you feel less of the spikes and, you know, like the valleys mm-hmm. of it, you know, like, so there's, um, yeah, the, the, there are great benefits in getting closer to nature. Anything mm-hmm. that lives, grows, you know, like <laughs> it's going to be a nice plate. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. The, the second question I got is, um, when can you identify the, the first seeds of you waking up from an hangover or whatever and, and just thinking that that can't be it? You know, like that, that, mm-hmm. that, that um, regime of, you know, like getting blacked out and, you know, like drinking too much and, and messing up some of your friendships and all. Mm-hmm. Do, can, you, can you trace back on, you know, like those first seeds of, uh, that's not it, you know. Like that, that can't be it. Mm-hmm. And and I I remember throughout all of my drinking that I would often think that, but I would think, well, what what's the alternative? Everyone drinks. I didn't know anyone who didn't drink because I hadn't formed close relationships with them, right? Because I wanted to hang out with people that wanted to do what I did, was which was yep. to drink more. Um, so I didn't see it modeled anywhere, and so I was worried about well, how would that even look? So I thought I had to just moderate. So same sort of thing as when I was thinking about, well, I just need to eat less, but I was like, well, I just need to drink less. And so I just need to go into this and I would make all the rules around my drinking. I'll only drink on these days, but then I would drink these other ones. Or I will only have two drinks, and but then I would have seven. Or I yeah. will only um, drink water in between each one. And of course, none of these rules work. Maybe they worked one night, but they didn't work for, for the longest time. And so I always had this idea of, yes, this is this is not working, this is not great, but really when I left the corporate world and was doing the health coaching, when things escalated, I was like, what is going on here? I was in love and my, and my love was 
uh, he was never a big drinker and so he thought that this behavior was ridiculous and immature and he would tell me so like what are you doing like you come out and you act like a completely different person and so he was getting very fed up and I was worried about losing that relationship because all of a sudden I was in this very he's a very honest man he's very um highly conscious man and so the things that he would um pull me up on I hadn't really been pulled up on before the things that he would point out and be like that's not okay that behavior is not acceptable and so there was that but then there was also this this thing that I was like I suddenly realized for all of my life, I hadn't poured myself into anything. I'd fallen from one career path to another. I'd never poured my heart and soul into every, anything. I never tried to reach my potential. And I thought this wellness path is is the thing that I want to do. So why am I self-sabotaging? Why am I drinking and then I don't feel great the next day? I can't be as productive as, as I want to. And it came to a head when I sat down with one of my beautiful clients one day, and I was looking into her eyes, we were on Skype, and she said, you know, sometimes when I'm lonely, I, I drink to feel better. And I heard myself say, well, that's okay. And I was horrified. Like the moment those words left my lips, I thought, what am I doing? I'm here. I'm coaching her. I'm supposed to be supporting her and being a good example. And I've got this, this secret where I'm still binge drinking in the background. I felt like complete fraud. I felt like an imposter. And, and I just couldn't keep going because I'd been hanging out with these new friends as well in this wellness world. And I couldn't reconcile these two worlds where these wellness friends had never seen me drunk. And then my corporate friends had never seen me sober. And it just got, became harder and harder to reconcile where I'd always been very good at compartmentalizing, compartmentalizing my life before and keeping certain things separate from different friendship groups and so on. But now this one was just sort of tearing me apart because they were polar opposites. And I was like, you know, I, I can't keep doing this. I need to choose and it's a Dr. Jekyll and Mrs. Hyde thing, mm-hmm. you know, like where where you 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 feel well, you surely feel like shit when you're drunk, but you feel like shit when you're hiding it from people that are of good faith and are genuinely good people. You know, like mm-hmm. you know, like that's that's uh, and so some of your drinking becomes for trying to forget that you know, like you you yes. could be lying and hiding that personality of yours and vice versa. Um, oh my gosh, yes. I remember <laughs> I, I remember hiding a bottle of empty wine from my love, from my, my partner, and because I didn't want to get into an argument with him about it. And then, of course, the next day I drank to get over that shame of what I had done. So yeah, yeah it becomes this spiral. Exactly. Can, can you bring me to the, the straw that hit the camel's back and, you know, like that, that broke the camel's back and when it, you know, like it came pretty much to an end. Yeah. And it, 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 that client session was a huge thing. Also, we went to, my love and I went to a party and I just got so silly there. Like there were a couple of women there who were just as silly as I were and as I was. And so we were all mucking around and I was throwing shoes and yelling things and just when we left that party, well, I don't remember leaving that party, but the next morning, my love was just, he was just broken. I could see it all over his face where he was just thinking, do I stay? Do I go? Like, what do I do? And I just felt ridiculous. I felt so ridiculous in that moment of here's this adult who, and I felt like a complete child. And then when I was thinking about this 
business, I was like, well, are you going to give this a shot or not? And so just these these little things kept happening and they were chipping away at this this facade or this denial where I was thinking, oh, but everyone drinks, you know, it's not a problem. But more and more I was saying, this is a problem, like we need to figure this out. And so I spent a day, a day where I was just seeped in shame. I had this huge hangover and I started to research alternatives and I started to search the internet and I came across an article that was talking about these new sober bars in the UK and they mentioned this other website which was a forum for sober people and I went over and I started reading it and then I found all these sober blogs and I was like what did I honestly think I was the only one in the world suffering with this I I really did because I thought no one talks about binge drinking and then feeling ashamed of it and it being an issue um anywhere that I had ever seen. And so it was this big secret that I had. And when I read their blogs, I just felt this blinding sense of recognition of, oh my gosh, they don't have an off switch either. Oh my gosh, they always drink more than they want to. They make rules around their drinking that don't work. All these things blew my mind. And it's funny because I had this this, uh, wellness blog for so long, I never imagined that people would write about sobriety or their, their drinking. And so that started to light and inspiration in me where I was like, okay, what if I just thought of this as an experiment? What if I just stop for a little while and see, because all of these women writing these blogs are saying that their life is better when they stop drinking. I didn't believe it, but I was like, well, why would they lie? You know, maybe it's true. Maybe I should find out. Yeah. Mm. And, um, did, did, did it stop? progressively or you had to you know figure out a date and you know like pretty much like like when people quit smoking where you're like you because i you know like i went in therapy you know like so for for me it was you know like the date was pretty clear you know it was february 24th i hit the door stone and so my my true sober date is february 25th you know so um how did you handle because you had to um I, I, I always have utmost respect for people that get inspired of, you know, I get their sobriety inspiration from online research and, you know, like listening to podcasts, for example, I, mm-hmm. I find this cra- crazy, um, I have crazy admiration for that because it's, 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 um, the self will is, is almost out of this world, you know, like that, the, the you know, like opening the door of a therapy is, you know, like you need, you need some, some kind of courage, some will say, but well, these, these people are kind of organized to make you sober. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you, how did you handle this? Yeah. And, and I think that was the thing as well is like, because I had these, these two things, I didn't want to lose this relationship because I, I felt like my other relationships, I had been like, well, if you don't like my drinking, then I'll just find someone else. You know, I, I very much was always about running. And I thought if I run from this relationship, I'm going to spend the rest of my life running. Like this is, there's only so many things that can happen and then you're going to keep running. And same with this new career. So I had these bigger things that I really, really wanted and they kept me going. Like whenever I would be, feel a little bit wobbly, I would be like, well, these are the two things that I'm holding up as these are what I want. And do you want them more than drinking? And I started by, I went to my, I remember I went to my parents' house and we had, there was always a lot of drinks there and I stayed the night and I knew somewhere in me that that was going to be the last night that I'd be drinking. 
excuse me, I knew that I wanted to stop the next day. So I went to their place and I thought, well, I'm just going to go crazy because this is going to be my last drink for a while. And I had in my mind that I would do it for three months, but I wasn't sure that I could make that. I wasn't sure if I could, I could make 30 days. That idea seemed preposterous to me, like ridiculous to go that long without drinking. So I would, I'd done 10 days in the past, but that was it. And so this night that I was with my parents, it was just I felt like it would be this big sort of a goodbye to alcohol and maybe it would be this celebration. It just felt sad. I think by that point I knew too much. So it just felt seeped in sort of a bittersweet sorrow. And then the next morning when I woke up, I drove home from their place and I was crying the whole way because I was just like, today is day one, but I'm flipping terrified, absolutely terrified. And when I got home, I told my love, today's day one. I'm not sure what I can do, but today's day one. So he was like, okay, well, you know, anything I can do to, to support you, then I, I will do that, which was amazing. Um, but I had a hen's party to go to the next day and a wedding like eight days later. And I had all these big social events with the people who had never seen me sober. So I was beside myself, so terrified. So I just, I read blogs, I listened to podcasts, I watched videos. I did everything I could do to arm myself with tools to help me to get through those things. And how did it go? oh it was a bumpy ride (laughs) it was so emotional so emotional and I found that sometimes I would go to these events and I would and I would do okay and I'd be like come out of there and I'd drive home and I'd feel like I'm driving home this is amazing I'm amazing and then other times I was just beside myself absolutely distraught I couldn't understand all of these emotions that came pouring out of me like what are these emotions I thought I had I was always this kind of either cheerful person or or ashamed and quiet I didn't understand all these other things and I remember a few times my love when I was just sobbing he would say to me what's wrong use your words and I couldn't even understand them never mind articulate what they were because I had no experience with them for all those years I had shoved all those emotions down and now they were all coming for me you know chasing me out and I was just like I don't know what to do with these so it was a very bumpy ride I have to ask you, Rebecca, um, was there, um, you know, like the, the, there's so many of those anonymous based 12 step based, uh, fraternity around the world. Um, my guess is that, you know, like there are hundreds in your region of mm-hmm. Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. Um, was there any time that you attended or read about, you know, like a, the, the 12 step approach and, you know, like, and, and then what was your relationship with it? And, you know, like, how did you, um, yeah, I mean, nothing for or against it, just mm-hmm. pretty much the question that came in my mind that, you know, like th- this is kind of a fellowship of people going through the same, mm-hmm. you know, like rocky road that you're going through, um, I have to ask, you know, like, was mm-hmm. there any desire to kind of join or, or, or to see how they did, they did handle it? I remember looking up a couple in my area, but I was like, I didn't think, like back then I believed that there's either the alcoholic or the normal drinker. And I thought because I wasn't drinking every day, because I'd never crashed my car or lost my house or things like that, I didn't believe that 
I would be welcomed into the these um, AA meetings. So mm-hmm. I was too scared to get there, but go there because I thought I'd only ever seen what I'd seen on movies, and I thought that you just don't deserve on- the membership. That's right. They'll be like, no, you don't belong here. Get out. You know, this is ridiculous. So you've been binge drinking. Well, welcome to Australia. You know, I thought it would be like that. And I thought they'll be like, this is for people with real problems. You don't belong here. So I was way too scared to even try going to any of those things. And back then I didn't know that there was um, this big book. I, I hadn't seen anything like that. So I didn't know that there was other literature that I could potentially uh, get my hands on without actually going to a meeting. I didn't know any of that stuff. So all I could see was the the blogs. It's it's so funny because during the holidays, I did um, one special, uh, I did two special episodes, one and both were with two guests. And the first one was actually you know, like dealing with parties and, and, and social activities while you're sober. Mm-hmm. And the second one was, I think, you know, like super interesting because it was the relationship that the, fr- the different fraternities had with the younger generation coming up, you know, like, so how do we reach out to them? How do mm-hmm. that, that new generation kind of handles the, the, um, all of the social interaction and social attraction mm-hmm. that it becomes, you know, like the, the Instagram feed is all about, you know, like, uh, the legalization of ca- marijuana pretty much across the globe. And, you know, like the, 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 um, industrialization of drinking and making alcohol mm. sweeter so that it becomes, you know, like young, as a, as a younger target of, you know, like a potential customer. And, and anyways, you know, like it was a long conversation around, you know, like the, um, being a young, a younger adult and, and, and deciding to go sober. And eventually we came to the, um, some of the challenges that how do you make those 60, 70, 80 year old fraternity and, and programs rejuvenate themselves to reach out to that coming generation. And, and my observation was that I've been on Facebook for what, like 10 years. I haven't once seen an ad for AA or NA or CA. Um, and this is where, this is where our, 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 our following generations are on. You know, like there, there's so, you know, like not, nothing on Instagram or nothing on Twitter and nothing on, um, which is a bit of a shame because even, even when you, you did decide to take care of your own life, um, if you had seen any type of, and we know how it works, you know, like you, since you did some Google search, you know, like the, it would have been a targeted ad for mm-hmm. you precisely for your situation, right? You know, like as I do for whatever, you know, like I do search on snowboard and you know, like it ends up on my Instagram feed, you know, like for some odd reason and bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> so you haven't done, you know, like you were at the time where you were doing a lot of, you know, like sobriety search, you know, like, and, and, and that kind of thing, it would have been evident of these fraternities to be involved in, you know, like their, their own, um, media funding to be, to be placing ads to someone that does research about sobriety. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find it unfortunate because it, you know, like in your case, you're not the first individual that tell me, tells me that, you know, like, and I had the same perception if it wasn't for my therapy center actually imposing me and almost forced, not almost forcing me to go to the meeting and say, Hey, look, you know, like it's not a, you know, like a, a stinky, smoky, 
room full of drunks that are, you know, like, which was the image I had in mind, you know, like of, of homeless drunks sitting there. It's not that, you know, like there's actually people your age and there's professionals in there and, you know, like people, you know, like, you know, like everyone's going to be okay here. And, um, I find it unfortunate, you know, like I think those are free, um, you know, like just free, uh, open-hearted, great resources that are available for people that are, you know, like, you know, need help, you know, like need, 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 um, need at least to know that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. Definitely. <clears throat> and I remember a woman reaching out to me and she said um, something like, oh, you I had shared things, some things on blog posts and she said, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous is the only place that can hold you or something like that. And at the time I was horrified because I had this real um, block around labels as well. Like I thought, well, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not drinking every morning. And she's sort of saying that I should go there, but I, that doesn't add up in my mind because I, I'm not. And so, yes, I totally agree. Like if it was more around, because now I coach hundreds of women from around the world and so many of them find um, help in AA and, and 12-step programs as well. And it's amazing. Like the the ones who, who love it there, they get so much out of it. And so if there was more of a, a sharing of the possibilities that await you in those in those areas. I'm sure that more people would seek help, and also potentially, if there wasn't that label, if it was just like if your drinking is impacting you in any way, and you want to come and have some support, that as well. You don't have to do all these tests to say am I an alcoholic or not. Just come if it's bothering you in any way. Exactly, and mm. and and at the same time, democratize it. You know, like make it make it. Um... Well, you said it perfect. You know, like the if you if you think it 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 makes your life challenging for you to drink, come visit us. You know, like mm-hmm. drop by. You know, like just um, yeah. I mean, it, 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 you made me realize by your own course that you know, like the the they they could have been a great occasion and a great situation for for those fraternities to actually reach out and and give you a hand there and and Mm -hmm. and i find it sad because it it saved my it actually saved my life you know like for 15 years ago and 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 but it again you know like it was a 12-step based therapy which encouraged and and actually pushed us to go do meetings and realizing by ourselves that you know like it wasn't the image i had or the requirement that i taught like you did, you know, like of, of, you know, like attending those meetings. Um, what made you eventually decide to, even though you already had like some, some coaching and you had your own practice of healthy living coaching, what made you open up to the, uh, and explain to me pretty much what, what's your business around? Because I know it's, 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 a, it's targeted a lot around women um, maybe if you can explain and, and tell me how it grew into the, the sobriety piece. Mm, exactly, because I was running a, a, a program for women which was around uh, helping them to have more energy through food. But it was also like that was the surface level, but the deeper level was coming to have peace with our with food and with our bodies and all the things that I discovered on that journey. And when I embarked on my sobriety journey, I shared some of my story on my blog and I had this outpouring of 
messages from other women who were like, it was like reading my diary. I have never told anyone this before, but, and then they would share their story. And I realized the, the extent of suffering going on behind closed doors with the same kinds of women as me who were like, but I social drink, but then I drink too much. You know, they didn't see that where they fit in this thing that we believed about Either you're a normal drinker or you're an alcoholic, not this broad spectrum of addiction that we understand now, but they were trying to figure out or reconcile where they fit in those. And so I wrote more and more about my journey and I came to realize that there are so many tools that I shared in my my energy and vitality program, so many tools that I learned through my health coaching practice that actually got me through sobriety, that got me through how to sit with my emotions, what to do when I want to celebrate, when I want to relax, when I want to uh, get over a stressful day or when I feel shame, you know, when I, what do I do with all those things? And how do I cope? Which was pretty much a toolbox. Yeah, exactly. For sobriety. Exactly. exactly. So then I created that in the program for for sobriety, and I started coaching women with that. And in the program as well, like I wanted to bring a ton of different stories from different women. To the more I was learning about our different journeys, I realized that the women that I was helping needed to hear that as well. So I interviewed women who had been to AA and 12-step meetings. I interviewed people who had done it on their own. I interviewed people who had all kinds of different stories so that hopefully the women that joined the program would see a role model in one of those, would see someone that they resonated with and be like, oh, I get it. The penny is dropping that I can choose to stop drinking and that I will find the resources in potentially any of those places. And so, you know, it's just, I'd think of it as uh, lessons in self-love and in providing them with the tools to empower themselves and to realize that there are so many places that we can find support these days. I finally have to ask you, how are you doing now, Rebecca? How is your business going? How are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing amazing. Thank you. I celebrate six years in March. um, So I'm super excited about that. And yeah, things are amazing. You know, I I wrote a book uh, a couple of years ago, which shared my journey, my first sort of six months of sobriety, um, which women really have been resonating with and which has brought me um, a lot of contact with with a lot of new women and grown our community. And then I, I launched another one um, just a little while back. And now I'm working on one which is around emotions and how to sit with emotions because I feel like that is the the hardest part about <laughs> about not absolutely not, and not moving that addiction to something else, not moving it to digital scrolling or to over shopping or to sugar addiction, you know, not moving it to something else because we're trying to avoid uncomfortable emotions. So yeah, I'm doing really well. Thank you. And um, finally, you know, like I, I have to thank you for your time and generosity, Rebecca. You know, like it was uh, for me, it's just a journey of, you know, like reaching out, out cold to people, you know, like I'm, I'm just an, like an unknown reaching out and, you know, like uh, asking, you know, like if, if you'd be, if, if people be guests to my podcast and you accepted right off the bat, you said, yeah, sure. You know, like I want to be in and, you know, like I, I, I'm really thankful for that and grateful that you accepted and you're quite open. And again, thank you for your time. Um, the last thing, um, it's pretty much your, your minute of fame here, your minute of, you know, like a spotlight. Where can we find you? You know, like where can we find your book and, you know, where can people find uh, Rebecca? 
Well, you can find me at bexweller.com, which is B-E-X, weller.com, um, or at sexysobriety.com. And there, there's a couple of free videos you can watch on um, Bex Weller. You can find a few more resources as well. Awesome. So all of these links will be provided in the description of the episode. So if you, whatever platform you're listening to, you just scroll down and you're going to find all these hyperlinks to, to get to Rebecca. Again, thank you for your time. It was, uh, it was fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm so happy, you know, like the, the, and I was telling you before recording, you know, like the, the different angles at which people attack sobriety, I said the attack where it would be embrace sobriety, um, is for me vital for even, I would even say for people's saving people's lives you know like the 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 what you what you experience i'm already hearing testimonies of people telling me that you know like they can't find their, themselves you know like um sitting at a at, at a meeting they have a hard time finding resources online because it's not that evident to find and they have a hard time you know like pretty much you know like identifying themselves to other peers that are going through the same situation and um, what you're doing and what I hope the podcast is doing is pretty much reaching out to these people and say, Hey, you're not alone. There are multiple resources for you. It's just let, let us give you, you know, like pretty much you know, like where you can find it. And you know, like you're part of that now. So thanks. Definitely. Thank you so much, Alex. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I love what you're doing in that you I remember when I first started my journey and I would find so much comfort in listening to podcasts because it's such an intimate medium. It helped me so much. So I have no, I imagine that you were helping so many people as well. So thank you so much for having me on here. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>